I think, and this is this is my opinion, but I think if the dad doesn't go to the hospital, the mom wouldn't have seen the doctor killing that guy, you know, accidentally killing that guy. You make it sound like the doctor is a serial killer. They, I mean, the she, way she stopped. She, she, how, many, <laughs> how many people have you killed, doctor? She stops two serial killers that night. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon, and I finally watched Frequency. This is one of those movies that like, I don't know, I think you probably have this too, where you're like, this is a huge movie in my life, but like, over half of the people I talk to are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And there's like another fourth that are like, oh, I re- I vaguely remember when that movie came out. And there's like another like small section that has seen it. And there's an even smaller section of people that like love it. And I, think, I feel like I, I have so many movies in my life like this where I'm just yeah. like, how do you fucking not know about Frequency? Well, okay. So I've heard about this movie because I actually watched the show that this movie is based on with the same name. And so when you were like frequency, I was like, silly, David, we don't do television shows. But no, in all seriousness, I knew that this was the show was based on a movie. So um, and I and I knew the movie existed because I was like, while watching the show, I was like, oh, this would have made a much better movie than a TV show. Um, And of course, the TV show is like newer. It's like 2000s. So there's a lot of like things that translate better that now it was like in the 80s 90s and today um but for me as far as movies that are like staples of your childhood but no one has known it actually we've done one it was evolution with dave duchovny uh that's that's definitely one that i feel like a lot of people just don't know what the fuck i'm talking about um and then another one is like indian in the cupboard or small soldiers i do love i love indian in the cupboard yeah I haven't seen that in forever, man. But yeah, that's definitely like- you know a movie I started thinking about the other day, and actually I was just um, Alan, you and I like have started collecting physical media again. But um, Wild America, oh, do you remember that the no. Jonathan Taylor Thomas movie where him and his two older brothers travel the U.S. documenting wild animals to create like documentary videos about it? That that skipped me. See, there you go. There we go again. Have um, you wait? Wait. Speaking of of that actor, um, how about I'll be home for Christmas? I know that one. I haven't seen it. Let's get back to it. Um, uh, that'd be that'd be <laughs> that'd be fun. Um, okay. So, anyways, yes, I knew this movie existed because of the show, and um, I when you were suggesting it, I don't know why. I was just like. I, I, I think I quit the show before even completing the whole first season. So I was just like not that excited for this movie, but I still knew the concept of the movie. And I was like, oh, the concept's great. So I got my wife and my sister-in-law to watch it because I was just like, I can't tell you anything about this movie. You're just going to have to like experience it. And I was like, for the concept alone, I knew they would like it. And right. then this movie played out and I was just like, oh, damn, I might fucking cry i 
<laughs> Dude, yeah, when he's talking to his dad, I think maybe the second time when he's like, you die or whatever. Yeah, where he yeah, realizes, getting, right? Yeah, I was getting super choked up. Oh, uh, another side thing. Ask me after because I don't want to say it on here. But I, if we ever do do TV shows, I came up with a name for the podcast. So, <laughs> like, Would it be a subsection of this podcast or just a brand new podcast? Patreon only, yeah. Um, <laughs> Patreon only, yeah. No one moving to OnlyFans afterwards. Or uh, what's the other one? There's another one, too. Fansly? Yeah, there uh, we are. There we go. Yeah, we, we don't know it. Feet, that's where the feed picks go. Um, let I think we can just get into it because it's this movie is like conceptually, you know, a lot. You and I do this a lot where we don't save things for, for the podcast. And we started talking about some issues we have with this movie. Sure. And it's it's been 10, 15 years um, since I've seen this. And so I didn't remember and watching it again, I was like, oh, yeah, there are some issues that I've always had with this. And I said we were going to start, but we're not going to start. One thing I like about this movie (laughs) is I don't think I know of another movie that conceptually does time travel the way this one does. And this isn't time travel, but it it sort of is, right? Because the voice the voice travels in the past and can affect it. It's it's very okay, you're in a safe place, David, to call this a time travel movie. I mean, it is it's essentially, even though no one does any physical traveling, it's it has enough of the rules that you can consider it. Um, you know, like you said, we were talking about this off off screen and the thing about this type of movie, it, it it's kind of a, like a two genre movie. Right. It like starts out as like this like sci fi thriller, maybe not quite thrillers and like a drama, like a sci fi drama. And then it moves into this like crime thriller about halfway. And a lot of movies during this day and age did this kind of switched up genres halfway through. Yeah, well, because as you said like so there's this mystery element to this and then there's also the sci-fi element to this and you don't really like the it's interesting that the mystery comes after the sci-fi right yeah yeah i was gonna i i told i think i told you this too it's like the first half of this movie reminded me of contact jodie foster and then the last half of this movie reminded me of looper because the time traveling rules are very similar to looper even though people yeah. actually time travel in that movie. Yeah, this movie reminded me, feel-wise, it's just it's like a serial killer vibe. So I was thinking Zodiac. Zodiac's like so much, I mean, Zodiac's better, right? Like in every way. But like, just kind of the dark feel of it. What's funny though is, the dark feel, a lot of it is in the present when the serial killer, like that storyline is completely over. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I... I noticed that too, like the lighting and like the way all the characters are treated. The past is much more like uh, hopeful, uh, hopeful. Cause, yeah, yeah, cause yeah. like the, warm lighting. <laughs> you know, this movie is basically trying to make a point of like how important family is. Honestly, if you get down to it, right? Like yeah, how was... affected his life was that his dad died. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like everything was good when your parents were alive, but now everything's shit because you're old and everyone's dead. Well, I mean, um, if your dad dies at six, like I imagine it would have an effect on you. 
But I mean, uh, like, even the even when he's walking through. Oh, this is a great example. When he's walking through the precinct, everything is really lit, like gritty, like it, like it's from the movie Seven. Like everything is shot like it's from from a Fincher film. And then when his dad is arrested, right? Caviezel's just fucking working there, and it looks dreary as hell. When his dad is arrested under false, you know, um, accusation, everything is still lit, like with a sense of like warmth and nostalgia. Yeah. Well, and so I want to talk about, I started talking about the time travel element, but it's interesting in the way that something like, and it's inconsistent too. Like we can say from the start that this movie is inconsistent in the way that it treats the time travel because like you'll have something that happens and it affects the future, but it then still allows for the possibility of free will to where something like the perfect example of this is when the ham radio gets destroyed in the past and it's then immediately destroyed in the present. Right? Yes. And this movie also takes place exactly 30 years apart. Right? So it's just like on the exact same trajectory. Yes. Um, so the ham radio gets destroyed and it's now destroyed in the present. And it's, there's nothing that Jim Caviezel can do. We're also not going to address the type of person Jim Caviezel is now either. If you're expecting that. Um, um, I, I know we're not expecting that. And th- there's some, at there's some points he he's am i mistaken into thinking that he's jesus yeah he no he is yeah, well yeah i mean not in the movie yes yes he was jesus okay he was jesus in passion of the christ okay um so the <laughs> just like that's jesus man um <laughs> jason Bourne, it's jesus christ uh, how many times like i know I'm it is on the the pop, but you keep <laughs> just, making that fucking joke it works let it out die now. um it's, it's finally relevant i th- i think also i would have more sympathy points for caviezel's character if if jim was just a bit of a better actor you know that's i would like he actually is not a bad actor and this is like i don't know maybe this is like the first time i really thought about it this way but like acting in general has gotten better right and so like as at, like watching this in 2000 i'm like man this fucking shit is so good like the acting's so great in this and then watching it now having 23 more years of actors getting better it kind of reminds me of like athletes like when you have like this isn't something that you know too much about <laughs> no no i know what you're gonna say you're gonna be like, like wow but like the Jordan LeBron debate or the like, could LeBron play in Wilt's, you know, like is Wilt the best player? Like, and just like, but like how athletes have gotten better and better to where like physically and like their ability I, now. I saw this comedian and he was saying how baseball athletes are, are a lot better today. And he goes, of course they are. Cause they were a bunch of overweight 40 year old smokers back when baseball was, you know, was getting popular and now people actually take care of their fucking selves. And so it's like, yeah, you could easily like the worst team today could easily be like the best team back then just on health and, and athleticism wise. But like you watch a movie from like the 50s, right? Like I watched um, The Third Man, which is like, I think, late, late 30s. No, probably late 40s. I need to watch The Third Man. I haven't the seen The Third Man's so fucking good. We're on so many tangents right now. But the point is you watch that and you're like. If that movie came out in 2022, 
and sure. that was the acting in it, you'd be like, all right, well, this acting's not. But like, you judge it on a scale, and like, the acting for that time is amazing. Yeah. And so, like, I don't. I talk about this all the time about how the acting in '80s movies um, and le- early '90s movies, like the acting in fucking Dead Poet Society, everybody but Robin Williams, like the acting's kind of shit. But that's just like how acting was, and like you, it's gotten yeah, better. You you still buy it because. It's the consistency. It, since everyone is like this, you're like, oh, it's it's supposed to be this way, right? Like, like I wouldn't say the pinnacle of acting in The Breakfast Club, you know, but it's cheesy. And you buy into this because it's supposed to be this kind of way. But now if you're like, oh, you know, you take that kind of acting and you put it in today's movies, people would be like, what is this, a fucking Netflix movie? Get, it, get the shit out of here. And Netflix movies, yeah, are the acting is kind of. Yeah. Um, have we? Co- I don't know. Have we covered the time travel? I think we just need to get into it, right? I think we need to get into it because our grievances will, you know, they'll come uh, as the movie gets to the plot points where the time travel becomes a problem. Um, so yeah, no, we start off with uh, Dennis Quaid uh, being saving, a fire, yeah, being yeah. a firefighter and saving some lives. I like the movie does do a good job of sort of like like putting the conceit out in the open right in the beginning so you have this radio talking about one about serial murders yeah. and then about the aurora borealis as yep. this truck just sort of side and sideswipe it, it jackknifes when i was taking my notes i couldn't think of fucking jackknife it jackknifes and then causes a huge fucking issue so dennis quaid and his fireman buddies come out there to try and save things and they're just like, oh, this situation is fucked. There's nothing we can do. So I know he, I know he dies, and I thought this was going to be how he died. And okay. I was, I, um, because I thought what it was going to do, what the movie was going to do, is going to show us how he died, and then jump back in time that way. I didn't, I didn't realize the whole movie was going to be parallel to each other. But I'm glad it was because that makes way more sense for it to be. Well, then how? Yeah, because yeah exactly um the this is the only part of the movie i didn't remember going through this like after this scene i was pretty much able to be like all right this happens next this like i could have written out my an outline of this movie without like watching it again it's like how many times i watched it back in the day and like how ingrained it was i'm so dumb because i thought the wires in this scene if they touched the water they would electrocute everyone in the water I didn't even put it together that it was, it, gas. it was gas. But then I was like, why isn't it already exploding? If the gas, like, why does the, why does it have to touch the water for the gas to ignite? No, the wires, the electricity. Yeah. Cause it causes a spark. Cause it's also a liquid. So it causes, they were already live wires. That's what, that's what I thought. But I was like, Oh, he just has to climb the ladder and get out of there. And I was like, Oh, the ladder's metal. It doesn't matter because it was a fire gas leak anyway. So, yep. And so he escapes. Um, that kind of shows. I mean, all that's establishing, you know, his character as a hero, right? And sure. it, then after this, we get the scene with him and his wife, um, who is is a hottie. She's very attractive, and when you, uh... <laughs> she's also younger than Jim Caviezel by a year. I. I uh I read somewhere where um uh what's her name in Forrest Gump who plays his mom um oh Sally Field Sally Field was younger than Forrest Gump in in that movie than uh, Tom yeah, Hanks that's, playing that's his funny mom too because Sally Field always feels old 
Yeah. Um, um, but what I was getting to, sorry, but what I was getting to is that they do this little little zoom in on her face when she turns around. He's like, hey, honey, and she turns around from cooking. They do this little zoom in on her face. Um, she's not, I don't think she's that famous of an actress. I thought she was too. I actually was getting confused with like um, the woman from, I think probably Dr. Gray, whatever her fucking name, Gray's Anatomy. Yeah, but that's like you're thinking of two different timelines. Maybe, I don't know. Whatever. Leave me alone. So anyway, let's get back to it. But show this scene right here is just to establish like, you know, how much they love each other. Right. And like how <laughs> you're going to say how hot she is. But yes, yes, I agree. Establish in every scene. It also um, establishes um, how likable uh, Dennis Quaid's character is. You like him a lot. Right off the bat. He's a, hero. he's a hero. He's got yeah. a great wife that he loves. He's got a son who loves that his parents love each other. Like it's a you know a perfect family. We figure that out in 30 seconds. And then you see the bike riding lesson and you see him smoking, right? Like all of these little details, it's kind yeah. of interesting because it seems sort of it's actually pretty well written in that it seems meaningless, but all of that, all of those details matter. And not only that, can I also say a firefighter who smokes is ironic? Like um, but maybe I guess, in the Alanis Morissette kind of way, it's ironic, yeah. Uh, well, also in the 60s, maybe just everyone smoked, so it was fine. Because you look um, really fucking cool in the 60s if you smoke. <sighs> uh, so then we get the talking into the ham radio, and then we get into the future exactly exactly 30 years, right? And um, Jim Caviezel, who, by the way, Jim Caviezel looks so fucking young, so I guess he's 31 in this. He looked like 22. I mean, like, he looks so ridiculously young. Does Jim Caviezel at 31 look like a less goofy version of Justin Long? I could say, like, yeah. That that cross-country road trip buddy comedy would have been great. Like, you know, dad died and they have to drive over. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And his life fucking sucks. His woman is leaving him. Um, Oh, why? uh, I think it's because he can't get over the, like, his dad's death. He doesn't seem that bothered by. It. I mean, obviously he's bothered by it. He has but a he whole. He has all the newspapers. I guess he's constantly going through. I guess, but that just didn't make it feel like that was her problem with him. He's. She's like, you won't change. You won't change. I'm like, dude is whole. Oh, you know what it is. I think he gets too into his job. I think that's what they were trying to say. Yeah, which is funny because later in the movie he gets. He should be more into his job because his mom was one of the the victims but it's like i wonder if his it's so funny because when his mom dies right and you're supposed to believe that the timeline has caught up to the present you would think that his girlfriend would never leave him because like what a bitch if she was the one to complain you're it you're too into the (laughs) fact that your mom was murdered like you can't do that to a dude yeah but i guess it turns out because his mom was murdered she was the one that like introduced them to start dating and i thought i think that was their band-aid for that for the overall yeah. problem of that. Yeah. Um, and then Gordo comes over. Did you recognize Gordo's son? Oh, yeah. It was uh, Michael Sarah. <laughs> he looks exactly the same. <laughs> He's looked the exact same for 30 years. <laughs> um, the, uh, the actor who plays Gordo is um, Jim Carrey's friend from Truman Show. Correct. Yeah. And his brother also wrote the movie, I think. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I, that's that guy. 
had such like a good little thing going Truman Show to this and like a bunch of other shit. Like I saw him and stuff all the time, like back in the day. He always plays, he's typecast as the best friend of the main character who, in which the situation with the main character thinks he's slightly going insane. You just described this movie in the Truman Show, which is what you know him from. Yes. But if you could think of a third movie he's from, I'm sure that's also the case. It's probably not off the top of my head. Um, and then uh, he starts talking to his dad like right away. And you you know what? Like one of the most unbelievable things in this is Dennis Quaid has like such a fucking distinct voice and that he didn't recognize his dad right away. I mean, I guess the fact that he died 30 years ago. He died when he was six years old, David. Yeah, I get it. It's still pretty fucking distinct. Um, I always like like throughout the movie, his name's John. And they, <laughs> especially at the end where they're talking to um, I don't know his name. I know him as the police chief from Brooklyn Nine Nine, but he also plays a police officer from the NYPD here, too. Um, Satch. But Satch. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think it's funny that he calls him John or Johnny. Like, even his wife knows the voice on the radio's name is John. John is such a common name, it doesn't even occur to her that it's it's her son's name. Like, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure, not occur to her, but like, she doesn't make the connection. Because why but, would you think that your husband no, is talking to your son? Exactly. But, but Satch just knows this, right, information. And so when they're in the diner, and he's like, yeah, he, you know who he's been talking to, who he claims he's been talking to on the radio. And she goes, yeah, John. And he's like, yeah, fucking Johnny. And she's like, yeah, Johnny. And he's like, oh, so you too. Like he, he he's acting like you're insane also. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to say, so Andre Brower, by the way, who plays Satch in the movie, um, there's a point. So in when we first see him in the present day, he's John's partner, right? And he's kind of a little gruff, but he seems pretty like cool with John, right? Yeah, I noticed this too. When the timeline changes to where the mom died, our first interaction with Satch, he comes in and follows John into the bathroom, and he's like, "Watch your like basically like watch your fucking mouth. You can disrespect yourself. Don't disrespect me." I was like. I was like, so in this timeline, Satch is much more of an asshole. Did he have a thing for the wife? <laughs> like, what? Like, I don't know. I don't know why they made him like this gruffer, grittier guy to him. But it was only in that scene. I think it sort of left after that. But I, I, it might have just been to sort of tip the audience that things had changed. That something like, how, major. How, how dare? How dare you drop a shot glass in a bar when I'm sitting at the table with you? Hmm? Well, yeah, but at that point, that's the way the time travel works. Though at that point, the mom hadn't died, and I want to talk. That was weird too. That's weird too. That one one actually makes sense, and we'll get to it. Let's get to it. Let's keep going. Um, (laughs) Starts talking to the dad, talking, talks to him about the Amazons game one. You know, over after the home run, and then this whole this whole movie's crux, like this, all of the um, will they, won't they, you know believe each other is based on a game of baseball both times in this movie which i think is really great like and also apparently like all the facts from that game are true like the shoe polish like which obviously why would you make any of that shit up because you can use like the video yeah um it's it's a great concept to add into the movie because you do need 
a factual thing that's not going to change, not going to be affected by this, that you can say like, hey, this thing that you're caring about right now, I can predict it. And that's going to show you that I'm right. Um, I love Andre Brower's acting when he's watching game three in the diner with the wife. And he starts he, clapping. He's like, yeah, he just finished telling her that her husband is arrested for murder and possible rape. That's unclear through the movie, but yeah. Right. And then he, the next thing she's digesting this, she's thinking about this. She's mulling it over in her brain. She's distraught about this. The next thing she knows for some reason, this dude gets up from that conversation, goes to the TV, smiles and looks at her. And she must be so fucking confused on this dude's reaction. Um, okay, so let's go a little bit more in order, right? So now I think um, we're we're basically at them watching game one of the World Series and the dad being like, what the fuck? Like this guy has gotten all of this right, you know. Well, Although we also have to talk about how he's like, hey, you're going to die tomorrow in a warehouse. No, that hasn't happened yet. That hasn't so he, happened yet. So they watch game one, and then he goes back on the the ham radio with him. He's like, how'd you fucking know? And he's like... Oh, because both of them don't know who they're talking yeah. to at this point. And yeah. then they both think it's a prank, and then, he figured, and then John figures it out first, and he's like, I'm your son. This is what happens in game two. Oh, and then the deciding factor is he just he burns the desk accidentally. Well, that's how John knows for sure. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, you died. And then this is the part where I started like choking up. I'm kind of like getting tingles right now. When he's like, you die tomorrow. It wasn't your fault. The, you know, the guy said you just should have gone the other way. And it is really cool stepping a little bit ahead when you see him look. And one way is just is smoke. No, it no, looks no. like nothing. It, yeah. And the other way is is a fire. And you're like, oh, you obviously don't go that way. So he says, you you went with your instinct and you have to go against your instinct is basically what he's saying to survive. And uh, what's funny about that, like you said, is the instinct is the obvious. It's not like, you know what would have been cool is that if one room had a fire in it and then the other room was smoke. And then he was going to go through the fire one because that's what his instincts told him to. But then he was like, nah, I got to go. But what's really cool about that scene is when he's going the other way, he's thinking about what John says and he goes the other way. Um, <laughs> you see the time change in the present intercutting to like what's happening. Yeah, and they're at the bar and it's all of the time is changing as he's first of all, what's this slide he's going down? I mean, I'm sure there's a I, practical reason I, that the Buxton warehouse has this. Well, it's a they mill. Also, it's a mill house, right? So they have to transport like the big mill bags down. into the river. <laughs> <laughs> hey man. No, it's it's uh I think it's cuz their weight is trajectorying them to the river cuz it doesn't matter. Okay. But yeah, so first of all, as he's going we, we skipped a lot, but as he's going to, you know, he's watching game two. The shit is happening the way this guy on the ham radio predicted. The alarm goes off and he's like, oh, fuck. The whole time they're listening on the radio and, and they're like, oh, we won. We won game two. And he's like, fuck. He gets there. They're like, oh, there's no one in there. Then a girl runs out and she's like, hey, my sister's up there. He looks up and sees Buxton. And he's like, what the f-? like? You know what I mean? And then the way, like the movie takes its time having him climb all the way up there, 
the ladder doesn't work so he can't get out and then he he has to make that choice what's um, insane is that he knows all of this right he knows it very well might be true and this might be the end of his life but knowing that there's some crack whore up in up in that house he's like i don't care i'm gonna save her anyways and he just becomes more likable <laughs> yeah we skipped over john and satch going to um a crime scene where they find bones there's this part where he goes into this house next door and you realize later on i don't know if you connected this i've watched it so many times but he, the only reason he goes in there is because you're going to see a picture of the murderer that this all ties to and you don't even really know that there's a murderer yet in this movie but he talks to the dad of the serial killer you see the serial killer's picture did you connect all that uh, uh, now <laughs> that, that you're explaining it to me. Um, it, it's funny because when he goes back into that house and talks with the dad uh, later on in the movie, I could not pinpoint for the life of me where we have seen this character in this movie before. Right. It's then. It's right then, right? That's the first time. Yeah, yeah. And so, okay, that makes a whole and, bunch more sense. And he has a wife at that point who you then find out in the next scene, the son killed. But he did it with a different M.O., because he didn't want to get caught killing his own mother, which hopefully leads me to believe that this is not a rape then kill thing. Because like, yeah, but then maybe that was the plan all along. Eh, you know, and and there's also in serial killer, if criminal minds have taught me anything, there's escalation. So your first one is never going to be as gruesome as your last. So yeah, um, so let's get back to we're at Buxton. He gets. He gets out, you know, he gets out of there. Apparently when he threw his helmet, he, you know, he did it obviously for movie magic purposes, but on the sliding on the way down, he hit his head and had to get 16 stitches. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Um, Actually, I like the throwing your helmet thing because it shows the little photograph of his family that he keeps inside his helmet and then they connect that. And then uh, of course, in the present time, Jim Caviezel asks, satch and gordo you know how did my dad die and they were like cancer and that's when you realize okay finally the timeline has changed it's caught up and somehow johnny has has remembered both timelines which i think is a really cool it's a cool thing it's like it's not just keeping him obviously there wouldn't be the rest of the movie if he forgot the original timeline and just remembered the first, right? right? But what they could have done is they could have just had it where he just remembers the original timeline. But since they put both in his head, they put like the bad memory and the good memory in his head. Um, I like that. I thought that was a clever way. I like to imagine it as a the old memories sort of fade as he goes on to and the new memories sort of lock in place because that's like the real reality. Like a deja vu. And you and I were talking before we started about, you know, how how does that work? And it's like, oh, it's just Johnny. But then in the end, it also seems like the bad guy. I have other issues with, like, the bad guy's actions in the movie and, like, in relation to the ham radio. Sure. Um, so we can, we'll can we get to that when we do. I, I love all the memories popping in his head as the glass falls at the same yeah. time as the dad falls down the slide. All yep. of that. And they sort of go to that trick later on, too, because you have these two timelines happening at the same time, 30 years apart. Um, it's it's really good. And then the next scene where he goes and, like, kisses his wife while she's at work. Um, 
is great because at that point, if he died, it would have been, you know, a firefighter getting her and she would have been grieving and she wouldn't have known. Okay, I have a question here. She would have not been there or not noticed that that doctor gave that patient an extra dose of whatever, right? Right. So she saved his life, right? Correct. I always believe that to be the serial killer. It is. What? That is a serial killer, yeah. That but I him. thought he was a cop. Yeah, he was a cop who happened to be in the hospital. They don't explain why. But he was like clean shaven, and then in the hospital bed, he had this like giant beard. I didn't remember a beard. I thought he had a mask on. I thought he had like a whole thing on him. I mean, that is definitely the guy. Okay. That's like the point of the movie. I thought so, but I was so confused on... I guess I was just confused on why he looks so different and why he was in the hospital. They never really explained well, I think also he's laying down and he had long hair, so maybe his long hair is like coming up, uh, like surrounding his head. You know what I mean? So that could have affected... Oh, I want to get to that because... So we have the part where he writes, I'm still here, little chief on the desk, which when he says it at the end of the fucking movie when he appears, oh my God. You know what I mean? Also, can you just imagine like you're the wife or you're the son and you come in on your dad and your dad's on the ham radio and he's calling someone else little chief? What the what fuck, the dad? What the fuck, bro? Yeah. Are you are you gay, dad? Is I thought this is? I thought I was your little chief. Yeah, you just call any dude that? <laughs> um. So they have this really long montage conversation, you know, talking about the memories. I'm a cop. And he, like, he's like, you're third generation firefighter. How could you do this to me? <laughs> right, right. He talks to him about the smoking. And you also notice John, Jim Caviezel's personality has sort of changed now that his dad didn't die at six. Yeah, he, he gets an extra 20 years with his dad because of all of this. Yeah. Um, so he's slightly nicer of a person. Because his dad lived and his mom died? So here's what I want to talk about. So they have this conversation. It ends. He calls his mom, gets the voicemail, but it's very clearly his mom's. So the dad goes to the hospital. The mom saves the serial killer. We find out afterwards, oh, if you hadn't have lived, mom would have been taken away to that hospital. But what actually happened is John has this really long conversation with Frank about life, about how you got to be there. And so he goes to the hospital, Frank does, and says, hey, I'm not going anywhere. If Frank had not gone to the hospital, which was sort of impacted by that conversation with John, the guy would have still died. That's the thing that changes the serial killer not dying and thereby then killing the mom later on. Why? Because he goes to the hospital. It changes where the mom is in the hospital. She comes up to talk and meet with him. And then because she's standing there, she can see the doctor giving the wrong dosage. I guess, but there's no for sure way for you to say that without thinking like she could have also seen it if her husband never came. The The thing that she definitely wouldn't have seen is if another firefighter came into the hospital and was like, your husband just died, then full of grief running out of the hospital. Of course, she would have never seen it. But the fact that that didn't happen, I don't think him going to the hospital impacts anything. It does because his, the mom didn't die right away. So his my point is the way the movie treats this is that something can change, but the character along the way has the free will to change it again, like the ham radio. I think, and this is this is my opinion, 
But I think if the dad doesn't go to the hospital, the mom wouldn't have seen the doctor killing that guy, you know, accidentally killing that guy. You make it sound like the doctor is a serial killer. They, I mean, the she, way she stops. She, she, how, many, how many people have you killed, doctor? She stops two serial killers that night. Um, I just think it makes more. I think it logically makes more sense that that's why it was affected because he showed yeah. up. I like I like the fact that. the reason that the Nightingale killer stopped 30 years ago was because he fucking died accidentally. Right. Now and then no one, bodies. and then no one would have fucking, Oh, that's kind of crazy though. Like, think about that. I mean, that, I mean, it kind of, that sort of thing seems to happen a lot, right though. And they talk about in the movie where sometimes they stop because they get caught for something else, right? Like a guy who's killing a bunch of women, maybe gets caught attacking a woman and they don't know it's they don't know it's the murderer so he gets charged with like attempted rape and he well, goes away it, for 8 years yeah wasn't it ted bundy um who was caught um trying to like break into a woman's car or something like that and then he went to jail for like a little bit but he was like a white guy in the 60s so they were like eh, you know whatever slap on the wrist Good let behavior. him back out yeah right. let him back out and then you know nothing everything but you, you know what i'm saying um so yeah so this this all happens and now now this movie is shifting right now this movie is turning into this thriller crime noir thing where they have to find the killer and this is so cool right because not only does dennis quaid have to stop these murders from happening but at the same time the son has to solve the case it's it's actually so, I wouldn't be surprised if some film writer was like, I want to write a film where in the future, the dad has to solve a murder and in the, in the, or sorry, in the past, the dad has to solve a murder and in the future, the son has to solve the same murder, but how do I get there? <laughs> and so he has to draw, he has to basically write the entire backstory of, uh, frequency to get to like the part that he actually wanted to write about for it to make sense. Right. So I, I like, by the way, so this whole, as the dad goes to the hospital, Jim, you know, John, John, Jim Caviezel is having these bad dreams. Can't sleep. He wakes up and calls again. And his mom's number is a fucking, what a deli or whatever, yeah, a fish a house deli. or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he then goes to Samantha and Samantha's like, I've never fucking met you. Oh, you're, that friend of a friend. What yeah. are you doing here? And he's like, oh shit. And so he realizes his mom died, but he doesn't realize yet that, which is weird. Cause like if he has both sets of memories and this is, you know, sometimes like you got to allow like a little breathing room. for. Well, also to, they were to coming to him. They were coming to him in the form of a dream. Cause he was sleeping when all this happened. So who, who is to say like, you know, when you wake up and you can't remember your dream, but you have the remnants of your dream. Right. Something like that. Maybe. Yeah, so, and then he finds out his mom was killed by the serial killer, and he calls his, you know, talks to his dad again, and he's like, his dad's like, All right, I'm just going to get your mom out of here, and he's like, that, yeah, obviously that makes sense, but he's like, you, we're going to cause six other women to die. Like, that's, we did that. We have yeah. to stop that. And and you know Dennis Quaid is going to be like, yeah. You're right. Because of everything we've seen from him prior and he's being the hero with the morally, you know, sound compass. 
yeah, of course he's going to agree to this, right? Um, I love the realization when Satch is like, yeah, the seven other, you know, the ten victims. And he's like, ten victims? Is you know, you and I both know it's three. He's like, when has it ever been three? And then, and then everything is falling into place. I love that. Yeah, so... The next scene is where the dad is trying to save this woman and he kind of freaks out. So he just talks to her all night. Did you re- did you realize that dude in the background was the serial killer who was just kind of staring him down? Like, I oh. felt it was oh, really no, obvious. It was super okay. obvious. But, you know, I mean, I've seen this movie so many times. It's hard to like. I thought what they did is that, you know, the first guy they brought in that didn't do it. But um... the yearbook photo looked exactly like the young, a younger version of him. Yes, it did. Yeah, it was weird. I was like, it's fucking him. Sorry, I don't know. And you also don't know how old that victim was, so it, it would have it could have made sense. But um so uh they saved the first one. It's kind of like they're on a high, right? And <laughs> right. um I knew they couldn't save all of them. I was just waiting for it. I was like, there there ain't no way. And then they at the same time they also got the dental on the skeleton and the first victim. So that they know who the first victim is and they probably he probably knew her, right? I like this scene where he talks to the mom. That's also like a very like choke upable scene. Oh, on the radio. And then he talks to young Gordo and he's like, I got a present for you. Yahoo. <laughs> I love the way they set that up. I love the way they do this part. And then when you see the bends at the end and it says one Yahoo, like it's just such a tiny little thing to yeah. add to this movie. And I love that part. Not only that, it's like he, he, okay. So if he invested all of his money into Yahoo, he wouldn't even be at that fucking baseball game. He'd be fucking in, I don't know, Miami and then like a huge mansion. Right. But the fact that he invested like a little bit of money into Yahoo got him like a Benz and possibly just an all around, like nicer life. I, I just like how they didn't go too extra with it. Right. They gave, they gave you enough to know it made a difference. Right. Um, so the dad goes to the next killer. He goes to a nightclub. The killer beats him up in the bathroom and he's like, you know, are you following me? And then he just says what Mary Finelli or whatever says the name to him. Yeah. I like the way that the killer is about to kill him, but gets caught. So he can't like, cause it's like, yeah, why is he not going to kill the-, the dude kills people? He's a cop. Like that kills people. Of course he's going right. to kill this guy, but he gets stopped. Um, and then, this is a thing that I always, as a kid, was like, you're telling me he just didn't touch that wallet for 30 years? I always <laughs> found that, like, as a kid, I always found that to be impossible. I was like, there's no way that just happened this way. No, I thought um, it was really smart. You mean wrapping it up and putting it into the floorboards? I was, I was just like, like, doesn't he need stuff out of there? <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure he took everything out you know he had to just take everything out and then no he didn't he couldn't i mean his I id mean, was gone. His, his id, ID was, was gone, gone which by the way they didn't even laminate ids back then i was like that's crazy no, it, that's crazy and also like well what else is in your wallet like okay let, let me ask you this your son <laughs> is contacting you after 30 years on a ham radio you stop the uh, the murder of your wife you have to give up your wallet and all that's missing out of your wallet is your id as is right now, David, your wallet with everything in it to save your wife. What is like what's more important in your wallet? Dude, I have the receipt from my 
licorice pizza worst person in the world double feature that I went to a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that. I mean, look. In all seriousness, you my can insurance cancel- card. I'd have to get a new one. You'd have to get a new insurance card. You'd have to cancel all your credit cards, I guess, or not. I mean, just get new ones. Did credit exist in the sixties? It seems like it was fucking like civil war error the way this worked. I don't understand. <laughs> um. So I, but I love the way he puts the wallet in, and the son's like, "I got it," and the dad's just like, "Wow." Like how, yeah. like impressed about like how crazy that works. He's also, like, wow, the dad, no one really touched that wallet in thirty years. Well, he hid it in a place. It it sounded it seemed like he hid it in a place that the son didn't even know about because he had to tell him how to get there. Like yeah, no, I thought it was really smart. Yeah. Oh, and we didn't talk about the dad going into Frank going into the apartment finding the woman and like the serial killer very smart sticking the ID like under her, but it's also like so obviously a setup. But uh, kind of reminds me of uh, True Romance where. Uh, Gary Oldman has yeah in his hand uh, the ID of uh, Slater. So yeah, kind of like that same setup. But that was Slater's fault. And then of course, you know, you're not going to check under a dead body of a woman. But the other thing too, here's what I have to say. Why doesn't he take the the wallet to Satch? If he's such good friends with Satch, why doesn't Dennis Quaid take the wallet to Satch? Why does he have to transport it 30 years into the future? And now you might be thinking, oh, they didn't have as good a fingerprint analysis uh, in the past as they did in the future, right? That, except that for the fact, thinking. except for the fact that to like uh, say Dennis Quaid did this murder, there's a line that Satch says that says your fingerprints were, were all over the apartment. You created a straw man argument for me just so you can make this great point. But yeah, I know. I understand. I think it's because they didn't want to prove, he, like, proving to Satch, like, hey, this is the murderer. Satch's going to be like, what? Some dude that beat you up and touched your wallet is a, the fucking nightingale? Like, leave me alone. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? So I think that might be why he didn't go there. And also just like, I don't know, the excitement of dad and son solving the crime. You know what I mean? I guess. Um, so they find out it's a cop, goes back to the to the killer's parents' house and um and connects the, the mom's killer uh, yeah dad. the mom is dead and then when he confronts him in the bar is a Ooh. very cool scene so cool you've been caught you just don't even know it yet yeah yeah, yeah you were caught 30 years ago you just don't know yet it's so good uh from this point on this movie is like at a breakneck speed it's so fucking intense and it's just like it's on all cylinders it's great like i love i like i love the whole movie Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, where he's in the uh, interrogation room and then he comes in, like the serial killer comes into the interrogation room. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, even so, he's talking to John on the ham radio and the cops come and then he tries to warn John and the, you know, he's like, or he's telling him like, hey, they fucking think I did this. And the ham radio gets knocked over and they bring him in for questioning. And he tells him all this. He tells him it's Jack Shepard. And he's like, dude, what the fuck are you like? You're crazy. And he's like, well, what if I can prove it to you? And he predicts the World Series. And he's like, go watch the game. And he's like, go watch the game. Go watch the game. Oh, go watch the game. Like, are you fucking crazy? You're a murderer. Who do you mean go watch the game? Yeah. Um, and then the murderer comes, Jack Shepard, to kill him. And the other cop interrupts. And like intercutting Satch and the wife with the killer cop being there. And then yep. Dennis Quaid setting it up. And 
I love Dennis Quaid's shit-eating Grant as he throws the thing on the ground to cause like him to be electrocuted, and then he takes his wallet, takes his ID. Oh yeah, um, no that that's uh, that whole thing. I was just thinking it would be really shitty if like that other cop walks in through the door first, or Satch walks back in. And he, but they actually did it really smart, where it's not immediate electrocution. He, yeah, he waits a second. He has to like throw the little thing down. Yeah, yeah. So. And then he causes the fire and he gets out of there. I love the way he just like sort of hides his face as he walks out. It's like, dude, there's fucking water everywhere. Like no one's looking at you. There's no cameras. It's the 60s, baby. Um, I also love the slow-mo and the music building like as this all happens. It's great. And then it cuts to the killer's apartment. And this scene is so creepy. There's like almost there's music, but it's super low. Yeah. And like you don't you think I think originally you think, oh, it's Frank going into this apartment. Like he looked up the ID. He's going to the apartment and then you see it's the killer and Frank is already in there. He's already there. Yeah. And I think maybe in some footage or some editing problems happened because it's it's this part is not as smooth as the rest of the movie. What do you mean? Like, he's just there. Like, Dennis Quaid is just there. It, it just kind of is like, oh, okay, I guess he just went, he beelined for there after after he got out. I mean, I think you're supposed to... And then the, the serial killer also beelined for his own apartment after he got out. But I think you would know that, right? And I think also, I mean, because I don't remember, did he take the ID or did he just look at the ID? He took it. Yeah, so, I mean, the serial killer probably knows that it was taken. And then also, I mean, I think you're supposed, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious, like, that's what he was doing to go check the apartment. Well, it's not like you could look at the ID and then, like, fucking map quest it or something like that. Oh, we also didn't talk about the shoe polish play, but yeah, I mean, I, we sort of did, but yeah. No, like we the, did, we did. And the and baseball Satch, scene with Satch was so good. It's funny, too. It's like, as soon as he uh, escaped the police precinct, Satch now believes him. Like that, that kind of parallels with it too. But now it's like, it looks real bad because he just fucking escaped. Um, but then. So, but when they're in the apartment, right? I So he's using the mirror to watch the guy. The killer pretends to leave because he thinks he knows the guy's in here. And the way Dennis Quaid sort of runs out and the jewels get shot, he runs out and the guy just chases him. Satch well, is we... right behind because... They've heard the name Jack Shepard. They know he's a cop. They saw him come in. Or like, you know, his partner's going to tell him like, hey, this guy came in here. He's like, oh shit, that's the guy who's the murderer. Right. So all they have to do is look in their database, look him up on his his address. I, I know how Satch gets to the apartment. What I thought you were going to mention, what I thought was really smart is Dennis Quaid is in that apartment for, he has a good head start on on uh, serial killer man, right? He sh- Well, the guy is waking up. Yeah, well, you know, whatever. So he has kind of a head start. He's looking for the jewels. They know that he has um, trinkets from each murder as like trophies almost. And he's looking for those because if he can find those, he can prove, right? That's like blatant proof that 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 dude's a killer. Um, It's almost like he sets up the guy. It's almost like he sets up the guy because he can't find it. But then when he looks at him through the mirror, he sees where the serial killer is double checking. So when he he goes back to the closet, that's where he checks. He's in the most obvious place, though. <laughs> There's like a fucking hole. 
<laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Like a cutout. Um, so the killer chases him onto this pier. Frank hides underneath the pier, pulls him down, beats him in the head underwater with like a with metal like a nail. Nail, yeah. And somehow that dude survived. Um, Yo, but well, as soon as they were like, we can't find the body, I'm like, dead bodies float you would see this dude's dead body floating i was like and there's also 15 minutes left of the movie so yeah and then this is an interesting part and it's sort of it's a good you know we talked about it as a good representation of like the way the time travel works but frank fixes the radio which i guess he he might not have done but he you know but he fixes the radio in real time it gets fixed in the present um I like the way that the killer attacks in both the present and the future. So but it cool. makes it makes logically no sense. Okay, here we go. Here's like the big thing where we both have a problem with it, but we both have different problems with it. So you give me your grievance and no, then you I'll go tell first because you, you go first because mine's right. <laughs> okay. So every time Jim Caviezel and Dennis Quaid change the timeline, the only people in the future who know that this timeline has changed is Jim Caviezel. Because not only is he the only survivor of the two, but, you know, everyone else is adapting with the new memories that they're having. And he's retaining both. Um, So my problem is, is that when his hand gets shot off in the past in the present where he's choking jim his hand becomes a a a nubbin okay uh the killer is acting very surprised that his hand is going away but if jim is the only one retaining these memories then in a much less dramatic fashion, wouldn't his hand just go away? And then this, the serial killer knows that he doesn't have a hand. Like, why is he acting like it's disappearing in front of his eyes? Even though it is, he shouldn't be having the memory as, as he should have already had the memory implanted. I think you could say that the, the way that that works is like how people are affected by it. Like the way People's knowledge of both timelines is how like affected they are by the change, right? The people that are affected most by this are Jim Caviezel and Frank. So that's why they notice it. And like the mom would be, except she's died for most of this movie in the timeline changes, right? Yeah, but you Um, think Satch or or Gordo, the next two people in line would have known something. I mean, they're investigating the murders, but they're not really like a part of it, right? So I, So I think- I think that makes sense to me. So that's one problem with the hand. And the second problem is, is that if that dude's hand was shot off back in 1969 or whatever. Right. um, Wouldn't finding him be way fucking easy now? Like how did he, he couldn't, he, in this new timeline, he could have never become a cop, right? He, because there's three eyewitnesses that say he's a psycho killer. He has one hand. And so if they did the police report and they were like, hey, we're looking for this guy with one hand, this dude has to go into hiding for 30 years to come back and kill Jim Caviezel. So here's the point, like for the hand thing, as I've explained, the way this movie t- treats time travel, because these 
these 30 years are basically on like a similar plane. They're happening at the same time. So the hand thing doesn't really happen until it happens in the past, you know, at the same time in the present. My major issue with this is that when he attacks the family in the past, and but this is also explained by the way the time travel is treated in this, but okay, this is why. So not the hand thing because you confused me. When it is like the police now know Jack Shepard, this cop is the Nightingale killer. Right. He would have to leave town, most likely eventually leave the country if he wanted to not ever get arrested. But we're supposed to believe in these 30 years, he never got arrested and still made those killer killings. Hold on. No, stayed in the same town. He didn't kill anybody else, right? I think all those murders probably got wiped out. We just don't care about those because the mom lived. In those 30 years, he never got caught. And he still was at that local bar for Jim Caviezel to tell him like, hey, I know you did these fucking murders. I'm going to catch you. For then the killer to want to come that night. That's the part that doesn't make sense is that the killer still comes that night. No, he did killed- so. In the new timeline, he's never at the bar and he says that cool line to him. Yeah, that that shouldn't have happened because he would have left town forever. That should have yeah. changed. Yeah, and it did. Right. Well, yeah. So, but it, but it, no, it didn't in the movie. In the movie, they acted like that still happened and the killer's like, I have to kill Jim Caviezel because he knows. No, he, here's what I think is that he's, he would still come back after 30 years and kill Jim Caviezel. I don't think that bar scene at that exact same time. Hey, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, whatever. Um, Dennis Quaid showing up with a shotgun fucking kills him. Uh, no notes. Perfection. No notes yet. No, but I love what I love about it is the hand gets blown off and then you're looking around the room and the room is changing. You're like, why is the fucking room changing? Furniture is being fucked up. <laughs> That's not. Yes. But why is the furniture being fucked up? Because it's not Jim Caviezel's house. It's Frank's house. Oh, I didn't get that. I thought because... Because Frank's uh, still alive. This is his house. Oh, I thought because... (laughs) I thought because they were tussling in the past, all the furniture was being broken, so it had to all be replaced throughout the years. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it's because it's Frank's house. He kills the dude. Yeah. Problem solved. Um, I love baseball that, game in a Yahoo later. The movie ends. I love that part of it. I am not a fan of the song they chose to end this movie with. I don't even remember. It's some country thing. I don't know, you know, but it's, it's whatever. Um, and that's how it ends. And, um, yeah, I thought it was great. I, um, I love it. Th- there's a couple other things I want to talk about, about this in generally. So, Gregory Hoblet is the director of this movie. This is his 1996 through I'll stop at 2007 because he did he did Untraceable in 2008, but he did Primal Fear, Fallen, which we're going to do soon, Frequency, Hearts War, Fracture. In that like 10 year period, he has a he has a, th- a thing with F names, huh? But those are all pretty fucking like solid. Yeah, like they're not run. like they're not like hundred. Mo- well, I mean, some of them probably made that. They're all fucking great movies. Um, and then he did I Untraceable. He did Untraceable, really and he has like about Primal Fear. 
yeah i mean you just need to watch that without knowing anything about it and soon if it hasn't been spoiled for you it hasn't been spoiled for me i know ed norton's in it um but i keep telling you i want to do a month of um what's it called when you're when you're going through the law <laughs> that's a Le- horrible legal thrillers like it's a it's legal thrillers but like different points of legal thrillers like one's a courtroom one's outside one's um like focused on the witness one's you know like like different steps in the legal law process we should do a whole month of those the legal law process i got you that's fine um so at one point this movie was going to be directed by rennie harlan who directed cutthroat island the long kiss goodnight deep blue sea cliffhanger uh die hard 2 um and it was going to star Sylvester Stallone as the lead. Um, I don't know if the lead is Frank or Jim Caviezel. I assume it's Frank, probably. Yeah, it, it is. It is Frank because. Um, but thank God that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, along with Sylvester Stallone, the following people were considered for Frank Sullivan. This is a fucking long list: Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, Michael Keaton, Bruce Willis, Kurt Russell, Kevin Costner, Patrick Swayze, Ed Harris, Bill Paxton, hey, yeah. Tom Hanks. Yep. Michael Bean, I'm not done. Alec Baldwin, Kevin Bacon, I think Kevin Bacon works. John Travolta, Gary Sinise, Tommy Lee Jones is pretty old for that, and Jeff Bridges. So the only people I feel like, like Kevin Costner and Dennis Quaid are kind of interchangeable people. Um, Kevin Bacon would have worked. Kevin Bacon would have been okay, but I don't. I I there's another name you said in there that I was just like, ooh, him. Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton, yeah. Bill Paxton would have been good. Michael Keaton actually would have been great, especially like at that time. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. I don't think that's, yeah, that's not. Um, Yeah. I I was going to do a Sylvester Stallone impression, but Michael Keaton works for this episode. Yo, yo, little chief. That's a horrible. (laughs) That's like maybe my worst impression ever. I got to work on, I got to work on my Stallone now, clearly. Do it. That sounded like I smelled sloth from the Goonies. Oh my god! My wife always gets mad at me because I keep trying to teach my kids to say, "Hey, you guys like sloth," and she's like, "Quit, quit fucking doing that." Yeah, I would quit doing that. It's gonna cause Um, problems in the future. Yeah, this movie, like, so unless you do like an Avengers end game where you're just like all right each change just creates a new timeline which i think people even have problem with the time travel in that like time travel movies always are going to have people who are like well that doesn't make sense i think this is like one of the most unique takes on time travel as far as the way things work the way that there's still free will and like things can change after that change yeah and the way it sort of coincides with the present in this scenario um i love all that i also just think it's it's like such a fucking good tight movie um i wasn't worried that i wasn't gonna like it as much but i'm surprised i guess i don't know just it's still fucking great no it is it's good uh i really enjoyed it and and the people i watched it who are usually hard to please uh they really enjoyed it um yeah i don't care about their opinion (laughs) you don't like true romance i know Fuck them. Um, the <laughs> the thing that I'm glad that they didn't do is to in order to save the mom, the dad 
eventually had to die anyways. I'm glad they didn't do something like that. I'm glad they were actually able to save both parents and have this happy ending. Um, yeah, I, I think it's great. I think that was the right way to go about it. And this movie is it's funny because at, at times where it's this like gritty thriller at the end of it all, it's this really feel good movie. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I really liked it. I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it again, like within a year. That's fun. Great. Thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched Frequency. <laughs> <laughs>